Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest voxcasting either side of the breach. This episode deals with art, language, and deception. It takes place among Malifaux's high society, in the drawing rooms of the highest guild officials. Personally, I wouldn't be caught dead in such a place. No, let me rephrase that. I wouldn't be in such a place, for if I were caught, I would be dead. That's better. In this tale, we meet Lucius Matheson, secretary to the Governor-General himself. Some say that Lucius is the true ruler of Malifaux. Others say he has dark secrets that even the Governor-General is not aware of. To find out more, stay with us. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by Niccolo's Fine Art. Are you more important than most people? Do you dream of staring down on your ancestors and frightening your grandchildren long after you're dead? Then why not immortalise yourself with an oil painting by a true master of the form? Niccolo is available for portrait sessions at your location or at his studio. Many of the richest, most powerful people in Malifaux have sat for Niccolo. As a client, you'll join this illustrious group and live forever on the canvas. Portrait by N. A. Wolf. Please, sir, you mustn't fidget. The shadows move when you do, and it becomes impossible for me to capture the essence of your... Niccolo's faint stammers shrunk away into nothingness as the man posing haughtily on the stool opposite interrupted him with a strident rebuke. I'm paying you to paint my portrait, not force me to sit on my backside all evening. How much longer must I endure this torturous escapade? Niccolo sighed, but looked down at his palette to mix a new shade with a grunt. The two-hour painting sessions often passed in agonizing silence, broken only by the occasional criticism from his client. Niccolo's charge grew increasingly more impatient each session, but Niccolo remained unperturbed. He was accustomed to capturing the countenances of Malifaux's elite and powerful and to enduring their pomp. The extravagance of the foyer he had come to know so well over the past few weeks was not lost upon Niccolo, but it no longer registered to him as deeply. It was the same in every property downtown. The lavish oaken panelling, the crimson silk carpets from the Three Kingdoms, and the burnished brass lamps dripping with fragrant lavender wax. All were so agonizingly institutionalized that they failed to provoke even the slightest reaction from him any more. Their inviting hearths, smouldering with the warmth of soulstone-powered flames, simply swirled around him as a meaningless, colourless distraction. What mattered most was always the portrait. For Niccolo had a gift. 
After he crossed the bridge, Niccolo could see what other painters could not. In his perception, each person always had an aura, a shimmering haze of color that was almost imperceptible, but very, very real. When he used that color as a shade for the tones in their portraits, the portrait would become spectacularly beautiful, almost alive. Were you paying attention to anything I just said? The man barked before standing up and taking off his coat with a shrug. We're done for the evening. Thank you, sir, Niccolo offered with a grimace, picking up his brushes and paints before giving a brief bow. What do you think of the work thus far? I think I captured your spirit nicely. He was not entirely truthful. Had he been, the portrait would have been painted a decaying grey to match the dull aura which only he could see. He turned the canvas toward his client hesitantly. It is quite magnificent as expected. He has no idea. Why else do you think I'm paying you? Good night. He gesticulated towards the door with a foreboding finger. Niccolo showed himself out. The crimson wallpaper in the shadowy vestibule was patterned with pale white frills, palmettes, and fleur-de-lis. The bright colors and designs passed from his memory like a dying dream. He had seen too much like it before. Three authoritative knocks rang through the entryway, shattering the meek silence. Niccolo paused before opening the door hesitantly only to come face to face with a diamond-shaped burnished golden mask with glowing emerald green eye slits. A white-gloved hand pushed him aside brusquely with surprising strength. Niccolo was knocked to the floor as the masked man entered the vestibule with a retinue of two attendants wearing death-gray coats. Their well-cobbled boots shone smugly in the pale candlelight, while their elegant boater hats glimmered with badges of office. The masked man stared intently at Niccolo before saying as though bored, I've always enjoyed the wallpaper in these houses. Don't you? His voice was predatory, spidery and soft, yet authoritative and domineering. It threatened violence in every well-defined syllable, reminding Niccolo of the sound vipers made when slithering through tall grass. Upon catching sight of the visitor, Niccolo's client immediately arose from his armchair with a stammer of surprise. Secretary Matteson, he began weakly, to what do I owe the pleasure of your company at such a late hour? May I offer you a drink? I have brandy or mulled wine or... The masked man cut him off curtly with a gesture. Silence fell like the shadow of a coming storm. You know why I'm here, Herman. Still in the vestibule, Niccolo was mesmerized by the gravitas of the secretary's every silky word. Herman's voice was trembling. Even from the other room, Niccolo could hear the nervous patter of his cobbled shoes muffled by the fine oriental rug before the hearth. I don't know what you mean, he stammered. Oh, I'm afraid you do. The masked man gave a short chuckle before saying, Have a seat. My associate, Mr. Birmingham has evidence tying you to the embezzlement of guild script from the governor's treasury. The secretary cast a sideways, imperious glance at one of his retinue. 
One of Lucius' attendants stepped forward with a toothy smile, pointing his cane straight at Herman with a flourish. His voice was high-pitched and sing-song. To Niccolo, it almost seemed like a squeal of contempt. Do you honestly think we wouldn't notice as hundreds of thousands worth of script were missing after being registered as miscellaneous charges from your department? The secretary crossed his legs dispassionately, and cocking his mask glanced mockingly to one side, laid half of his gilded countenance to rest in his hand. He began strumming his masked cheek with long, spidery fingers. It was as if the entire meeting was an exercise to him, pedantic and mundane. Niccolo heard the sound of ruffled pages as Birmingham pulled out his notebook. He began to read in a shrilled voice. Testimony from your assistant, Marshal Walters, given April the 29th. He stated the following. I was coerced by Herman to alter the miscellaneous expenses in the treasury account books to increase the amounts of script allocated to each line item. Miscellaneous expenses would not cost all the allocated script. The remainder went into Herman's pocket. Herman said that if I refused to participate and log the books accordingly, he would make my daughter disappear. What is this nonsense? Herman shouted. I believe, Birmingham offered with a jeer, that this is a clear incidence of embezzlement, which is a felony under the Lex Pecuniae, paragraph C, subclause 73, punishment... Herman's knuckles were gripping the arms of his chair. Death. He's lying, Herman interjected sheepishly, standing up violently. Marshal Walters was a disobedient oaf who harbored a grudge against me. His testimony is fallacious and cannot be verified with... Oh, chirped Birmingham delightedly. But it can. Now sit down. Birmingham's simpering tone transformed into a manic bark. Your chief of staff, Matthew Monastus, offered me evidence on April the 30th, saying that Mr. Walters came to him in the late hours of the previous evening, seeking advice after you made your proposition. In turn, Mr. Monastus then spoke with Minister Melius from the Guild's Internal Affairs Investigation Unit, which has been watching your movements for the past few months, ever since. They noticed the continued misappropriation of Guild funds within your department. They concluded early this morning that the evidence was strong enough for a conviction. He cackled and returned his notebook to his coat pocket, with an exaggerated flourish before twirling his cane excitedly in one hand. Lies! Damn lies! Herman was sweating profusely now, beside himself and writhing in his seat. Please, you haven't let me finish, chuckled Birmingham. You haven't heard everything. As they say, always listen to your lawyer. Nobody says that. Well, I just did. Now, if you continue to interrupt me, I'll have to restrain you, he said nastily. His companion, who previously sat motionless on the couch next to the secretary, rose menacingly. Herman fell silent. Now, where were we? Ah, yes. Not only did you violate the Lex Pecuniae under the paragraph C, subclause 73, but you also threatened a fellow high-ranking guild officer with familial harm. He giggled at this nonsensically, before continuing. Specifically, the disappearance of his daughter, which we interpret as a threat of premeditated murder. He gave a mock sigh before changing tack at lightning speed and saying with glee, This is a violation of the Ius Pados under the Statute of Civilian Protection, Clause 14, Subclause 3, Alpha. Punishment? 
Herman gave a sharp intake of breath. Also, death! Herman, have you anything to say in your defense? Niccolo's client simply sat motionless in his chair. The game was up. Herman stared plainly at Lucius. Are you going to execute me, Mr. Secretary? Lucius uncrossed his legs with a dark chuckle. The emerald green lenses of his golden mask flickered wickedly. Oh, heavens no, Herman. Herman gave a massive sigh of relief, as though a huge weight had been lifted from his chest. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Please tell me what I need to do. Anything for the guild, I promise. Please let me... But the secretary interrupted him again, holding up a commanding hand. Herman Stammers faltered. I won't execute you, Herman. He will. Lucius cast a sideways glance at Birmingham's twin. The second henchman grabbed Herman forcibly by the neck. Like a cornered animal chosen for sacrifice, Herman began kicking and wailing against the bulk of the man restraining him. Tears streamed from his eyes, but he could not break away from the vice-like grip of his executioner. Niccolo's stomach sank. He couldn't bear to watch or listen, but he couldn't look away or cover his ears. Herman was forced closer and closer to the dancing remnant flames of his own hearth in agonizing slowness. At last he gave in and struggled no longer. The henchman buried his head deep in the burning coals and held it there. Niccolo would never forget the screaming and the smell of smoking flesh. It went on for almost an entire minute. All the while, the secretary sat on the couch calmly, twiddling his fingers idly as he listened to Herman's death throes, as though savoring a fine symphony. At last, Herman's struggling form went limp, as life left his body in a wave of final agony. Niccolo wretched and almost vomited. No hearth would be welcoming or beautiful to him ever again. The secretary looked up when it was over. You can come out now, Niccolo. I know you've been watching from the vestibule. Niccolo's blood turned to ice in his veins. Resigned to his fate, he crept into the foyer nervously. The secretary stretched out an imperious hand. My name is Lucius Mattison. Niccolo shook it numbly. He could not think of anything else to say except, How did you know my name? You are a popular artist with many of our executives, who have commissioned work from you. Lucius put a hand on Niccolo's shoulder before pointing at the half-completed portrait in the foyer. Even with the barrier of the secretary's silken gloves, Niccolo could feel the sharp points of Lucius' nails dig into his flesh hungrily. You have quite a talent, it seems, and a proclivity for capturing the way light falls within your portraits, as if you can see things others cannot. Niccolo said nothing to this. He stared into the secretary's green eyes and almost gasped. There was no aura there, only emptiness. No other person he had ever seen exhibited such a vacuum. Lucius gestured at the incomplete portrait of Herman with his cane, shaking Niccolo from his thoughts. That would have been beautiful. Not your best work by far, though. 
Have you done something different than usual? The shade seems off. Niccolo's blood ran cold. Did he know? What a shame. In one fluid motion, Lucius drew a gleaming blade from the inside of his cane. Niccolo flinched, expecting the end. He closed his eyes and heard only the acute sound of a canvas ripped in twain. Opening them, he saw that his work had a large gash across the subject's throat. Rats have to be terminated, Lucius concluded. With a mirthless chuckle, he added, All smoked out, it seems. But no matter, he said, returning the gleaming blade to its sheath. I have a request. Niccolo was dumbfounded. Anything, sir. I want to be your next subject. You will paint my portrait. My office lacks one, it seems. This must be rectified at once. With a gulp, and at a total loss for words, Niccolo said, it would be an honor, Secretary Mattison. He bowed his head. Quite, Lucius replied. My office in the Guild Enclave, tomorrow evening at eight. It will be your finest masterpiece to date, I think. Yes, Mr. Secretary. Do show up, or I may change my mind about whether or not I should exterminate you, too. He turned his back to Niccolo, and before beckoning to his retinue, warned, Paint exactly what you see this time. Nothing more, nothing less, painter. As Lucius exited through the vestibule, with his two cronies in tow, he ran into the maid, who had rushed down after she heard the commotion. With a coy nod, Lucius looked her straight in the eyes and said, to the drawing room. There's a mess that needs cleaning. When Niccolo arrived before the great oaken doors of Lucius' office the next evening, a bronze bird-like creature with a telescopic device in place of a head hovered above him menacingly. It gave a strident squawk of disapproval, as though he was unworthy to grace Lucius' presence. Niccolo cringed, but recovered himself in time to hear Lucius' silky, menacing voice grating at him through an ethervox speaker in the creature's chest. I am pleased that you accepted my offer, Niccolo. The watcher flapped impatiently before perching atop Niccolo's shoulder, just where Lucius had dug his claws in the night before. The talons dug in deep and tore rips in his fine shirt. He felt the bloody scratches sting and smart. The office door swung open with a mechanical hiss, a puff of steam, and the clicking of gears. Niccolo's heart almost stopped. The space was massive, but it was also empty. A lone antique desk with a single flickering lamp stood proudly in the center. The most rigid chair Niccolo had ever seen, made of a hard, gnarled wood of different shades, was parked neatly behind it. 
The vast space of the entire room dwarfed these sole pieces of furniture. They stood arrogantly in the centre of the room, unabashed and impervious to their own presence. The desk faced one of the largest windows Niccolo had ever seen. It had an elegant view of the square downtown. Niccolo could see the lights glimmering from the Star Theatre a few blocks away. The window itself was curved to fit the natural shape of the office. It was so wide that it offered an almost panoramic view of the main street. Lucius sat in his chair patiently, drumming his fingers on the desk. He did not so much as look at Niccolo, but said, What do you think? Niccolo paused, choosing his words carefully. It's beautiful, sir. I had no idea this room was here. Surely it can be seen from the outside. It's enchanted. This window looks like a brick wall to the untrained eye. It's not what I expected, concluded Niccolo. And what was it that you expected? Well, stuttered Niccolo feebly, cursing himself for not having chosen his words more carefully. I thought of bookshelves, red carpeting, and a hearth, at the very least. This resembles none of the studies of some of the subjects I have painted over the past few years. It's modest, he concluded, before hurriedly adding, in the best possible sense, of course. Lucius gave a dark chuckle. He put the tips of his spidery fingers together, and still not looking at Niccolo, continued, I don't need any of those things, painter. I can see the whole city for myself. My office is a space where I'm obligated to sit. Nothing more. The decisions I make on the Governor-General's behalf have absolutely no effect on this room, but, he added, getting up and looking at Niccolo at last, they make all the difference out there. He strutted toward the window. Malifaux is what really matters. And consequently, I have need of little else but to see my own handiwork. But I don't understand, sir, Niccolo responded cautiously. You are the governor's secretary. You must have books, ledgers, accounts, records. Where are all the instruments of your work? Lucius turned back to Niccolo sinisterly. Secretary, he said, is a loosely defined word. Niccolo shuddered as he made eye contact with the glowing green abysses of the mask. It only took him a moment to realize that they were soulstone fragments. Was Lucius blind? No human eye could see through the haze swirling inside them. My work, Lucius said, unfazed but deeply interested in Niccolo's apparent ignorance, is in my head. There is nothing I do not know, Niccolo. Nothing at all. Once I understand it, internalize it. It can never be taken back. It is with me forever. Paper is for fools. A superior mind manages everything without external aids. Anything less than this faculty is intolerable and inconceivable to me. Niccolo was at a loss for words. Thinking of nothing else, he said, Shall we start, Secretary Madison? Lucius gestured curtly at the watcher, 
before barking, leave us. The governor needs word of Birmingham's report and the paperwork for Herman's accident. Tell McMorning to fill in the forms appropriately. Remind him of our previous arrangement. Now away. The watcher squawked obediently before flying through the double doors. They closed sharply behind it, the wood screeching against the marble floor in harsh rebuke. Niccolo unpacked a collapsing easel from his bag and neatly placed his canvas astride it. How would you like me to portray you, sir? Sitting, standing? Lucius paused, as if the question were one of an idiot. Do you not remember the condition I gave you yesterday evening? Paint exactly what you see, Niccolo. I don't understand. Paint me as you see me. Utterly nonplussed, Niccolo decided he would paint Lucius standing regally, with his cane in one hand. Standing, then. And how did you come to that decision so swiftly? Because the idea of you sitting down at a desk would not accurately portray the authority of your presence. Lucius gave another sinister chuckle. In his silky, menacing voice, he said, Indeed. This is what I'm talking about, Niccolo, and why a man of your talent should be the one to paint my portrait. Do not paint what others want to see. Paint what is. The first hour passed in silence. Lucius stood regally in front of the window, balanced on his cane. The lenses of his mask glimmered mockingly as Niccolo struggled agonizingly to capture the arrogance, the conceit, the intellect, the authority, everything, in one pose. Lucius was the first to break the silence. Tell me of Genoa, Niccolo. Genoa? Why? Because you are from there. How could he possibly? I know you're from Genoa, because your shoes are made by Carmen Disferenza, a cobbler who is renowned for her fine craftsmanship yet to be replicated elsewhere. It's a shame she perished. Niccolo's blood went ice cold. You don't know that for certain, I... How? Because, as I told you, it is my job to know. I do not waste time with books when there is a city out there that is mine to govern. Genoa has changed, Mr. Secretary. It hasn't been the same since... He stopped abruptly again. You do not need to remind me that the guild sacked your city, Niccolo. I was there during the takeover. The people fought bravely. But when they continually refused to submit to guild jurisdiction following the Black Powder Wars and the reassertion of guild control, the situation was unacceptable to us. Where then, you know, the city lies in ruin. Her people, their spirit is broken. They will never be the same. Never. The guild watches over them, but it is a dynamic of power. A relationship of necessity void of mutual respect or trust. Is that why you're here, Niccolo? 
You already know. It's your job to know, Niccolo said. The lines of his pencil penetrated deeper in the canvas than he anticipated. His hand was shaking. Of course I do. I just want to see if you're lying to me. Go on. After Genoa, I was a refugee. I had nowhere else to go. My clients and family were dead, executed, many of them, after the guild gained control of the city. What else but Malifaux could be a destination for misplaced souls? You are aware that the people you despise, that is to say, people like myself, are more powerful here than we ever could be Earthside. Why do you work for our executives if you hate the guild so? Niccolo said nothing to this. You don't have to answer. I know why, Painter. Because you are a paradox and a hypocrite. Whom you work for is irrelevant. The coin is good. The satisfaction sufficient. You drift from guild estate to estate, pretending to notice nothing of what's inside. The luxury is stifling. The arrogance palpable. But you ignore it all. You ignore the very people who invaded your city. Who killed your cobbler. These are the people whom you serve, and you take their coin willingly. You are no less a turncoat than any of the guild sympathizers of your country whom you judge so harshly. It is not in my nature to hate, only to survive. That is why you've been thriving so well here, it seems. Lucius turned his back on Niccolo again and stared out his great window. He wrapped his cane on the glass, smugly. The people Earthside talk of heaven and hell. But there is no paradise or inferno, no matter how vividly your Dante might describe one. Only a purgatory of misery, deceit, and misplaced senses of righteousness that are too deeply internalized for humans to realize that they are just as bad as the forces they seek to destroy. Malifaux is only about survival. And I had heard that it didn't always used to be like that. Oh, what do you know of Malifaux, refugee? That there were beings here before we were. Lucius turned abruptly to face Niccolo now. He walked very slowly towards him, cane in hand. And what do you know of these beings? You call them the Neverborn? Yes. I suppose they are called that. They were here before the breach opened. We are usurpers to them, who entered their land, took their resources, and sold stones to them. They want to see us leave. There are times when I can hardly blame them. Niccolo took a deep breath before offering a sigh and returning to his sketch. He had to choose his words more carefully. He was only half-focused on the art, and Lucius' immediate interest in the mysterious Neverborn intrigued him. What did the secretary know? From the way you speak of them, Lucius said coyly, it seems that in fact you know very little. 
Tell me more. I'm intrigued. You know my story already. And it is a waste of time for me to repeat what you already know. A casual discussion of the very force that seeks to destroy you to pass the tedium. Enchanting. Where should we begin? Lucius tapped his cane on the ground. Niccolo thought carefully, scratching his chin. Their language. I want to know about their language. And why would you assume that I know anything about that, painter? It's the job of academics to know. Are you saying you don't know then? Have you learned nothing? I asked only why you assumed, Lucius snapped. There's nothing I don't know. Some people are not always right, but they are never in doubt. Let me assure you that in my case, only one of those two things is true. Niccolo's hand darted across the canvas now. Lucius' presence and his deep, silky voice were rattling inside his head. Feverishly, he was inspired to draw the man more than ever before, to capture the conceit in a way that had never been done. Infinite possibilities filled his head as the graphite touched the canvas. The form of Lucius Mattison began to materialize more quickly, sinister, menacing, and swirling in the scrolls of his strokes. Their language is an inflected one. It's tonin? Niccolo asked between frantic scribbles. A common misconception. Inflected in this context merely means the endings of its words change. Describe it to me. You were educated in Genoa, were you not? You would know the language of the Romani in that case. Think of these two languages, that of the Romani and that of the Neverborn, as existing under a similar set of rules and guidelines. For the Romani, the function of each word in the language is dictated by the suffix. In the language of the Romani, I could say one word around seven different ways, but depending on the last few letters, it could fulfill a completely different function in the sentence than its six companions. The language of the Neverborn is similar. Do you understand? Niccolo nodded. Lucius continued. The language of the Romani has seven categories, or cases of suffixes. The language of the Neverborn has ten. But that's not what you care about. You really want to know how I know of the Neverborn. What do you think it says about people if their language is nearly impossible for outsiders to learn? If it morphs and shapes dynamically and organically, to keep the unworthy from understanding. They want nothing to do with humans. Nothing to do with you at all. You speak of the language as though it's alive. Why, of course it is. The language lives and breathes. It is shapeless and labyrinthine. The language seems impossible, Niccolo responded. To untrained humans, yes. Lucius' profiles becoming more and more defined on the canvas. Niccolo's preliminary sketch was nearly complete. The lithe image of Lucius Mattison was staring back at him menacingly. Even in black and white, it was suitably unnerving. But the image seemed to flicker in his mind's eye. In one second, the proud form of Lucius would leer back at him. In another, he thought he saw only blank scribbles on a white background. Niccolo shook his head. 
He was tired. That was all. Tell me if they never born themselves, Niccolo asked. Lucius paused, evidently choosing his words carefully. He turned his back and walked over to his desk. From the top right drawer, he pulled out a light wooden box with an ornate bronze latch. It smelled of pine wood. Have you ever heard of lepidopterology? I don't follow, said Niccolo impatiently. His own sketch was leering at him. The graphite seemed to flicker and move with the flame from the lamp on Lucius' desk. He was being foolish. It's the study of butterflies. Lucius opened the box. The bottom part was hollowed, with a glass pane covering the contents inside. Lucius held up the box, and Niccolo saw four dead lilac butterflies nestled inside, preserved beautifully, with their wings suspended in mid-motion by some adhesive Niccolo could not begin to fathom. They looked quite alive. Lucius said, This was a gift from an acquaintance of mine, a devout lepidopterist who was ironically a friend of the late Herman. I keep few possessions, but I keep this particular one, because it reminds me of the forces we seek to destroy. Imagine the Neverborn like these poor creatures trapped behind the glass. How do you mean? It was growing harder and harder to follow Lucius every minute. It was as if Niccolo were drowsy. The sketch glared at him in protest, it seemed. Well, to an insect. The world is unfathomably huge. An infinite space for expansion. Accompanied by a blissful lack of awareness for the other forces that reside within it. So, too, was Malifaux for the Neverborn before humanity ended it. But they say that the Neverborn were oppressed by entities. Tyrants! Lucius tapped his cane excitedly on the ground and looked straight at Niccolo as though he'd made a faux pas. Tyrants. Powerful entities. Almost like gods. Beings that rule even the Neverborn. Yes. They are very real. Yet... The Neverborn texts say that the tyrants were overthrown. But back to the analogy. Humanity entered this realm during an era of peace. The Neverborn thrived, like these creatures before someone caught them and dealt with them accordingly for study. He tapped the glass of the box agitatedly. Niccolo noticed that Lucius' voice was growing more urgent. It was still silky and soft but his tone was ardent. Niccolo asked, These monsters take many forms. How can they thrive together? I have heard stories of the Nephilim in the Badlands, of sick creatures that look like child's daydreams stalking the streets at night, of doppelgangers and skinwalkers in disguise. They are all so different. Niccolo thought he saw Lucius fidget ever so slightly. His outline seemed to shimmer faintly. Lucius responded snidely. Isn't it obvious, painter? The Neverborn are powerful, magical beings. Some are uniform entities like the Nephilim, yet others can be any form they choose. 
They may look like different horrors, but this is by choice. These entities choose a form that is most pleasing to them alone, either because it matches the psyche of the individual, or because the form is considered terrifying to enemies or rivals within the group. Although each member is independent, and many harbor deep resentment of each other, they are unified at least in their hatred of the human race, I assure you. They think I understand. No, Niccolo, you don't, Lucius replied bitterly. Not until you're like one of those butterflies trapped behind glass with no escape. Niccolo's eyes were growing heavier. He cast a glance at the canvas. His heart nearly stopped. Is something wrong, painter? The form of Lucius, which he had drawn with his own hand, was hideous, distended, and grotesque. Its proportions were all wrong. But how? He thought he captured the arrogance, the threats of violence, and the swaggering confidence in a way that no other artist could but he was staring only at a hazy mess of scribbles, each line as indistinguishable as the next. Sinuous and lithe, each stroke was entwined in a winding tangle of chaos. I... Niccolo's head grew light. He felt like he was going to faint. Lucius stood up smugly, snatched the canvas, and then gazed at the mess printed atop with a coarse laugh. As I expected, he snorted and then tossed the canvas aside dispassionately. You ask all these questions about the Neverborn. Let me tell you something else about them. We can't be painted by humans. With Lucius' silky tones assaulting his senses, Niccolo collapsed on the ground. A flaring pain shot up his shoulder like wildfire. He screamed in agony. You know, my watcher seems to have poisoned you. Lucius leant in close before whispering, You see, I asked you to draw what is, not what people want to see. Because you have a unique power, Niccolo. You see with your eyes what everyone else sees. But with your mind, you see truth. This, Lucius gestured haughtily at the canvas, is truth. Niccolo was writhing in pain. Lucius continued, I called you here this evening as a test. I have seen your work. You clearly have some magical talent for painting that defies common skill, because you can capture the spirit and soul of your subject in every work through their auras. Perhaps such an ability graced you when you crossed the breach. I wanted to know if you could depict the real truth when it came to creatures like us. Evidently, you can. My form deceives your eyes, but clearly not your mind. You see one thing, but for reasons that you cannot control, paint another. For is art not just the transference of what the mind perceives onto a canvas? Niccolo began foaming at the mouth. Lucius prodded him lazily with his cane, as though testing a specimen before dissection, continuing, You see us for what we really are by some accident, and your art shows it. You had to be dispatched. 
What good fortune that our paths crossed last evening. The voice echoed in his head like a violent symphony. Niccolo was becoming numb. Lucius' whispers were ensnaring him utterly. He tried to scream and cry, but couldn't. It was as though his bloodstream was being doused with icy water. The same sense of nihilism, the lack of any color or aura which he'd first experienced when he saw Lucius for the first time, came crashing down upon him again. Niccolo, for someone who can see truth, I'm shocked that you are so blind. How did you think I have such intimate knowledge to answer the questions you asked? I really should thank you for our chat, though. I was simply planning to kill you. Instead, we had a very fruitful discussion. Lucius clapped his hands excitedly with a dark chuckle. For the first time painting a non-human subject, this was a success. This swirling chaos defines us quite nicely. But no matter. People like you, who turn their backs so idly in search of profit, who flee instead of taking responsibility, who end up working for the enemy in their own territory, are the worst of humanity. As I told you, rats have to be terminated, one at a time, to set a few butterflies free. Niccolo was gasping his last. They will... No, they will see truth. No, said Lucius, raising his cane for a fatal blow. What was it your namesake once said? Men are so simple and so much inclined to obey immediate needs that a deceiver will never lack victims for his deceptions. Ah, human literature is so primitive, but strikingly truthful. Goodbye, Niccolo. You, like the rest of this world soon, will be ours. The Governor-General stared into the depths of Lucius' mask, a look of bemused consternation lining his chiseled, aged features. I take it that Herman has been dealt with accordingly. He has been... fired, so to speak, yes. Lucius gazed lazily back at him. The Governor-General stood up angrily. The entire city is under damn martial law, but we can't control our own people. More than you know, Lucius chuckled. Herman is perhaps only one of several people who are working out of their own interests and not for the greater good of the Guild. They are everywhere, lurking, hiding, and waiting to make you seem like a fool. Lucius, do what you must to rid us of this filth. I give you full authority to enact whatever measures you see fit. Excellent. Lucius stood up to his full height and made to depart. Is there anything else to report, Mr. Madison? 
Oh, there is one thing. Lucius snapped his fingers, and with an eager squawk his watcher fluttered into the room, an ornate wooden box nestled in its talons. I want you to have this. The watcher deposited the box on the governor's desk. Inside, trapped behind a clear glass pane, were five lilac butterflies. A friend of mine left me this, but as you know, I have little use for material trifles. They're beautiful. Thank you, Lucius. But why the gift? As a reminder, Governor, of how I intend to do the Guild justice. He chuckled again. I don't know what to say. Perhaps only that I hope your collection of these may keep growing, I suppose. The last one is especially vibrant. It looks fresher than the other four. Oh, said Lucius, turning his back to exit the governor's study. Yes, a recent artistic edition of mine. I'm glad you enjoy it. Lucius and the watcher departed, closing the door behind them. Had it not been for the whirling gears and the continued squawking of Lucius' mechanical companion, the governor-general would have heard a perverse, inhuman cackle from the hallway. That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. I hope you all enjoyed yourselves as much as I did. Join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux.